Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and Lord willing, I'd like to finish up on a thought that we started last week when we looked at the word glorification, one of the many shun words that we've looked at that are connected to our salvation. And this is the last one. This is the one that has to do with the absolute completion of our salvation. Now, in God's mind, it's already done. It's taken care of. It's a done deal. But we just need to catch up with the program uh, to getting our new, resurrected, glorified bodies. And uh, Romans 8, we looked at this last week. We'll do some quick review. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. Folks, the reason that's true is because in the end, we're going to be with the Lord in heaven. So everything works out in the end. This is, that verse is not true of a lost person. It's not true of a lost person because when they die, they end up in hell, and that's not working out for the good. So this is a promise that only a Christian can claim. And notice that connected to it is the next few things that show up and uh, it has to do with our resurrection. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice the verse does not say predestinated to be saved. It says to be conformed to the image of his son. When you accepted Christ as your savior, you became at that moment predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's son. That's, that's something that's going to happen. It's, it's in God's plan. It's, it's the la- one of the last dots that he's going to connect on your journey. And, and it says in verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, I want you to notice this last phrase here in verse 30, them he also is going to glorify. How does he see it? glorified. He sees it as though it is done. And so he's just waiting for you to catch up to the program and it'll eventually happen here. So it's as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. And then look at verse verse 31. This is a what I call a blessing sandwich. Verses 28 and 31 are the bread and the meat is verses 29 and 30. And verse 31, what shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? You know what's the worst thing anybody can do to you? Kill you and send you to heaven. (laughs) Kill you and send you to heaven, amen? So if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, guide us and direct us in the moments we have together this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather in the name of that name above all names, Jesus Christ, here on the first day of the week, the day we call the Lord's Day. It is your day. And I thank you, Lord, that your people have given that to you as first fruits of their week. And Lord, bless us now. We need you. We can't do this in our own power. This is a supernatural book. You wrote it. Only you can explain it and anoint it and bless it to our hearts and minds. Father, we pray for that one without Christ that's looking in or in the service this morning. And we pray, Father, for your people that we would be encouraged and edified as we walk in our pilgrimage in this tired old world, looking forward to seeing you someday in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, let me say right off the bat that the best thing about heaven, and we talked about this last week, is that we'll be with the Lord. Heaven is not just about a place, it's about the person, being with God. Um, I think I mentioned this Wednesday night, I was looking at something the other day, talking about some of these really, really wealthy people that have these mansions built uh, they look like museums. They're just massive. Tens and tens of thousands of square feet and pools and basketball courts and tennis courts and name it and, and landscaping galore and all that business. And, you know, I think, and, and a lot of these people are single people, and I, I, I think they must feel like a ball bearing bouncing around in a tin can. Uh, you know what? Being in heaven and streets of gold and gates of pearl and mansions is going to mean nothing without the Lord. And, and he, we're going to be not only with the Lord, but we're going to be with the obedient angels, and we're going to be with God's people. And, uh, you know, I've said it before, God's people can be stinkers. God's people can be stinkers. Just put up with a few things with them and run with them. They're still the best. They're still the best. But you know what? When we get to heaven, we'll be perfect. We'll be perfect. And this is part of the perfection that we're talking about, glorification. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about exaltation. Mormonism teaches exaltation, the idea that you can become a god like the god of this universe and have your, have your own thing going on. Uh, there's nothing in Scripture that even comes close to that. Unless you want to talk about Lucifer trying to become equal with God and being thrown out of heaven and becoming Satan, God's adversary. Unless you want to talk about that, there's nothing that comes close to that in Scripture. What we're talking about is God giving his children, he imparts to them a supernatural heavenly body with supernatural and heavenly characteristics fit for the place that we'll be living for all eternity. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. But the main thing I wanted you to see in verse 30 is that as far as God's concerned, he sees it as already done. And so it's just a matter of time where we catch up with the program. Take your Bibles and look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And if you woke up this morning feeling your age... Uh, maybe this will be an encouragement to you. Amen? I know the older we get, the more we appreciate this truth. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And just another example of how certain things are done in God's eyes, even though we haven't entered into the experience yet. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Notice past tense. It's already done. He quickened us. He made us alive together with Christ, even though we were dead in our sins. And notice verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, the Bible says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So there's a sense in which our spirit is connected to his spirit up in heaven like one long umbilical cord from here to there. 
Now again, we're just waiting for the rest of us to catch up with it by way of experience. But as he sees it, we've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then notice the broad purpose of all this. Now, as an individual believer, I'm, I'm glad that God saved me. That means a lot to me, just as it means a lot to you. Amen? Amen? <laughs> All right. I was wondering. Um, but notice the broader purpose of salvation. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. In the end, salvation is more about him than it is about us. It's to bring glory and honor to him. Now look, I, that's fine with me. It doesn't have to be all about me. I was driving down the road the other day and I drove past a daycare place and the literal name of it is, it's all about me. <laughs> and I thought, boy, you don't have to teach kids to be like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't mind that it's not all about me. I'm just glad I get in on it. And, and the bigger purpose the, the, in the aggregate, the broad picture of this, is that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We will be trophies of his grace. Uh, the Bible talks about the peculiar treasures of kings. Peter calls us a peculiar people. And people that have, have more money than they know what to do with, they sometimes look for that one thing that nobody else has. And kings would do that. They'd have these peculiar treasures. And, and they would show those off. And that's what God's going to do. We're going to be trophies of his grace. We're going to be the peculiar treasure of the king of this whole universe. Amen? And so... Uh, this is something that God sees as already done. Take your Bibles and go to Philippians. One more book over. Philippians chapter 3. I just, I just hope this will be an encouragement to you this morning. To go on for God, we'll see that, that Paul makes that direct connection uh, as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Philippians chapter 3 and notice verse 20. Philippians 3 verse 20. The Bible says, for our conversation... Our conversation, that word conversation has to do with speech and discussion. It also has to do with manner of life and uh, living. And the Bible says our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Change our vile bodies. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're not old enough to understand that you have a vile body. Maybe you've grown up with some health issues and you get that. But maybe you're like I was when I was young, strong and healthy and, and this just, it wasn't really real to me, to be honest with you. It's only as you get older or you struggle with some health issues that you realize how vile the body is. But even for you that are healthy, if you doubt your body is vile, just skip bathing, brushing your teeth, or feeding yourself for one month. All right? And watch the cravings. And watch the itchings 
and smell the smells. And folks, these bodies have to be constantly worked on and maintained because they are vile. They're falling apart as we speak. I said to my wife the other day, as you get older, I, I know how you eventually die. You got all these different health problems you accumulate, and the doctor's giving you a pill for this and a, and, and a, and a remedy for that. And, and, and finally, one day, just everything catches up, and you can't keep up with it, and then you die. <laughs> and you know why that is? We have vile bodies, folks. But what, notice what Paul says in verse 21, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The working is that working in which God does all things and subdues them and brings them back to himself, including this universe, folks. Um, the longer I live, the more I marvel at the idea that someone could believe that life is just a fortuitous accident. I mean, it's just beyond me when you consider the complexity of the human body alone. And, and they get into the microscope and they start uh, sorting out stuff that the complexity of things you can't even see with your eyes is beyond our capacity to even grasp. And then you look out into the cosmos and the vastness of it and just galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. I mean, our little solar system and our little galaxy, the Milky Way, is just one of a bazillion of them out there. And, and how, how marvelous and wonderful is this God, and it's by that same working and same power that God promises he's going to change these vile bodies and give us glorified resurrection bodies that have supernatural and heavenly characteristics unlike the ones we have right now. Let's take our Bibles now, and we're going to finish up by resting and settling down in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you came here this morning to get into the Word of God, because that's what we're going to do. And you might be here this morning, and health is great, and energy is wonderful, and, and you know, sickness is for other people, and being old is for somebody else, but go along long enough, down the road of life, and you'll need what we're going to talk about here this morning. You'll need this. You'll need the encouragement that it provides. Now let's start out in verse 1 because Paul's going to talk about the resurrection of Christ and the importance of it. And remember something, it's the resurrection of Christ that is the foundation of our salvation and it is the foundation of the promise of a new resurrection body. Without it, we would have neither of those things. And verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, folks, verse 2 isn't suggesting anybody losing their salvation. Verse 2 is saying you've got to believe the right thing or you will believe in vain. Paul says here's the gospel. Here's what, here are the elements of the gospel. Don't believe anything more than this. Don't believe anything less or you will believe in vain. And by the way, most of the perversions of the gospel are that. They either take away from it or they add to it. And so he reminds them and starts in verse 3 by saying, uh, for I delivered unto you first of all, 
That which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And notice he's going to say over and over again, according to the Scriptures. That's the important part. It's the, the gospel that we find in the Word of God. And he says that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now that's the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. That's God's payment for our sins. That's the good news. That's why it's called the gospel, because it is good news that our sins can be taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, verse uh, 5, uh, and he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. The idea that most of that 500 that saw him at once are still here. And Paul's basically saying, you want to check it out? Check it out. Now, the reason he's doing this is there were believers in Corinth, if they were believers, they were casting doubt on the validity of the resurrection of Christ. And so he's, he's making an argument for it. He's giving apologetics here, if you will. And uh, notice that he says a, a scene of 500 brethren at once. Now, folks, uh, it's, it's impossible to pull off a, a deception with 500 sets of eyes watching you. Okay? It's impossible to do that. You might be able to fool a handful of people here and there, but if you're pulling off a deception, and let's say these 500 are just going along with you, Someone's going to blow the whistle eventually. I like what a guy said to me one time. We were talking about conspiracies, and he said, he said, look at Watergate. There were about a half a dozen involved in that with President Nixon, and he couldn't keep them quiet. <laughs> half a dozen. And this was just about, you know, bugging a room with microphones and stealing some papers at night. I mean, folks, you, this 500 at once, you don't buy off 500 people at once and get them to tell an out-and-out out fabricated lie of such grandeur without somebody blowing the whistle sooner or later. And by the way, in all of these centuries, the, the body of Jesus Christ has not been discovered. Believe me, folks, as much as Satan hates the resurrection, we have whole governments that are atheistic, that oppose Christians, that as we speak have Christians in prison, and there's no religious liberty, and they hate the resurrection, they hate the gospel, they hate the word of God, they hate the God of your Bible, and they hate every Christian walking the face of the earth. If they could find where the body of Jesus Christ is, they would produce it for everybody to see. And they can't. And so the Bible says here in verse 7, And after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And he's referencing Acts chapter 9 where Christ uh, appeared to him. And uh, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And we talked about this recently, Paul's sense of unworthiness. And, uh, 
Then he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, <coughs> excuse me, verse 13, watch this now, then is Christ not risen? So Paul gets it from both sides of the equation. If Christ isn't risen, we don't resurrect. If we don't resurrect, Christ isn't risen. They go together, folks. They go together. Let me see your hand. Do you believe that Christ resurrected from the dead? Let me see your hand. All right. Then, then do you believe that you're going to be resurrected as a result? One is just as sure as the other, folks. And God sees it in his mind as already accomplished. We just got to go through the physical aspects of it. And so, um, where did I leave off here? Um, uh, verse 17. Um, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. So the resurrection's an integral part of the gospel. Without it, there is no salvation. And he says in 18, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Now, folks, then what he's saying is then if that's the case, then we don't have the hope that we have at every funeral when we put somebody in the ground knowing they're going to come up again someday if they know the Lord. And he says, verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Notice that word, first fruits. The first fruits of them that slept. It is foundational. Foundational to our resurrection. Look at verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And so we're talking about that resurrection. And then we jump down to verse 31 where Paul gets into the manner of the resurrection body. And that's where I want to finish up this morning. The manner of the resurrection body. What kind of body is it? And it's in this portion of Scripture that God gives us more information than anywhere else. Now think of it, folks. We're talking about how you're going to spend eternity. Uh, you get up in the morning and we work on these bodies. And like I said, we've got to. We clean them up, fix them up, do the best we can. Uh, good looking and beautiful for me is out of the question anymore. I just don't want babies to cry and dogs to bark, okay? And, and women to grab their children. Uh, that's good enough for me, amen? And, and so, um, how did I get off on that? I really, really digressed on that one. Um, but he's going to talk about the, the type of body. Oh, so, so we do these things because this is the only body we got. We got to live in it. Amen. We got to live in it. I take certain vitamins because certain things are supposed to be good for your eyes because I figure I only got one set. I want to take care of them and, and other things because they're good for other things in my body. Why? Because I got to live with this thing. This thing is, is what I motor around in. And, and my soul and spirit are, are encased in this thing. And, and so it is with you. And so God's giving us a description now of the body we're going to spend eternity with him. And uh, it's, it's exciting, folks. Look at verse 31. 
<coughs> he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus the Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So Paul's talking about some of the price he's paid to serve the Lord. And these beasts, there's a lot of uh, a controversy over exactly what he's talking Was he talking about people that were beast-like people? Or was he talking literally about fighting back animals in certain circumstances in his travels? Uh, I don't know. But he's, he's saying, look, if we don't raise from the dead, then all of this is in vain. Verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. He's rebuking those that are teaching these things. Verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And, uh, and so, uh, again, there were, there were those that were, were teaching this idea, and he's rebuking them for that. And verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Look at the strong language he uses in verse 36. Thou fool, that which, is, which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Now he's going to talk about the body like a seed. A seed is planted in the ground. And, and I'm told, I'm no horticulturist, but I'm told there's a certain point at which that seed is said to die and then it starts, it starts sprouting right there in the ground and brings forth its own fruit. And he, says, uh, and, and he says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, verse 37, Thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain that it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So it, it's not apparent. It, what Paul's saying is that seed, looking at that seed, it's not apparent what, what the, the plant is going to look like. He says, um, thou sowest not that body that shall be. And those of you that have had gardens or, or, or done, raised things on a, on a larger scale, you know that. You put these seeds into the ground, and then the plant is, is much different looking. And Paul's talking about that. He says, but it bears grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. And then verse 38 he says, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now, if you want to grow lettuce, and you want to grow a corn, and you want to grow radishes, and other, other different uh, types of vegetables, then you're going to use different seeds to grow those different things. And that's what Paul is talking about is the variety here, the variety and then he applies it directly to us. Notice verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fishes, and another of birds. So what he's going to talk about here is bodies suited to their environment. And think of it. We live in one environment. So he says the flesh of men. And, and our great ability is, is to adapt our ability is to adapt. And how do we adapt? Well, here we are. It's, it's, as Brother Han mentioned this morning, it's cold outside, but we're in a climate-controlled building. And uh, when it gets cold around, we just put on more clothes and we turn the heat up in the car and things of that nature. That's, that's our, our ability. 
But our, our flesh isn't real great out there in the elements. And then notice he says, and there's another of flesh of beasts and those critters that live out in the woods that some of you guys love to hunt. They're out there and they're in their own fur and, and they burrow down here and, and, and wander off over there. And they do some pretty incredible things. Uh, I've seen video of, of mountain goats and mountain sheep just bouncing off the sides of almost uh, perpendicular vertical walls. And they almost seem to defy gravity. Now, if you and I try that, uh, we're going to be in trouble unless we got <coughs> some ropes with carbiners. They have a different kind of flesh, the flesh of beasts. And then notice another of fishes. Why the different flesh there? Because there's a different environment. They got to live in water, so God gave them a body to be able to live in water. Now, again, we can do a certain amount, but we're very limited. And so how do we compensate? Well, we, we build a vessel where we can go down in the water longer and, and breathe the oxygen within the vessel. But we ourselves can't do the same thing a fish can do. Take a fish and throw him on the shore out in the air, and he's in trouble. Why? Because he's not suited for that environment. And then notice, and another of birds, and another of birds. So they're flying, so they have a certain kind of body because they're going to spend a lot of time up in the air. Now, we can get in planes, and we can fly, we can get in helicopters, and we can fly, but it's not us that's flying. We're just going for the ride, folks. We're just going for the ride. Sometimes I'm in an airplane, and you know we're at 30, 35,000 feet, whatever it is, over the Pacific Ocean, halfway between the United States and Japan, and it'll be in the middle of the night, and I'll get up to use the bathroom, and I'll just think to myself, this is nuts. <laughs> I'm in this massive tin can that weighs tons and tons and tons, hurtling through the air at nearly the speed of sound at, at you, know, 30, you know, so many miles above the water. This just doesn't even make any sense. Why is that? Because my body's not suited to just get out there and fly like certain birds can fly. You take the migrating birds, they're migrating right now, and they fly you know, from one continent to another. It's amazing. Why is that? Because God gave them that body suited to that environment. And then notice what Paul says in verse 40. He comes right out and, and he, he, he puts this together for us. He, he bundles it up and says there are also celestial bodies, that's your heavenly body, and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now he's talking about uh, the stars out in the sky. And now he's getting into the cosmos. And uh, some of you may be exposed to the Mormon teaching about the three heavens. And what, what Joseph Smith, as he confounded this verse, misunderstood it, and he, he thought he was looking at celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies as two different heavens. And then he coined another word, telestial, was another one that he coined as another heaven. That's, that's totally fabricated and not found in the Word of God. What Paul's talking about here is the heavenly bodies versus the earthly, earthly bodies. And in, in the beginning, he's, he talks about the, the uh, stars out there. And he starts out with our star, verse 41. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. By the way, that last phrase indicates that we will all have our individuality in heaven. 
just as we have individuality, I'm looking out at this group of people and I can see who you are. And uh, normally I look for you in your regular spot and when you switch, you mess me up. <laughs> you really do. You mess with my head when you switch your spot. Uh, so, uh, but, I, but how, how do I know who you are? It's, it's the way you look, okay? One star differeth from another star in glory. We're going to look different just as the stars in the sky may just look like a bunch of lights that look relatively the same, but when they, put a, when they put a telescope on those things and they start reaching out and looking at them, they're all very different. And uh, I'm made to that is, uh, understand that as big a deal as our sun is to our solar system, relative to a lot of other stars out there, it's very small. And, and we have the same thing with people. We have short and tall and big and small and all different varieties. <coughs> And so Paul's indicating we're going to have these differences, and we're going to have that individuality. It's just going to be a different kind of body. And he says, so also, verse 42, is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So those of us that are getting older, we're understanding this corruption a little better as we go. Uh, the joints start uh, getting stiff. And the skin starts to wrinkle and the hair falls out and, and things turn gray. And, and what is that? That's that corruption setting in. And he says, but it's raised in incorruption. It's raised in incorruption. There will be, this new body will have no ability to be corrupted. Nothing, nothing can interfere with its glory. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And if you've ever been so sick, you just couldn't get off the bed or you couldn't get out of the couch or the chair. That's what Paul's talking about, that weakness that's a part of these bodies that when we feel healthy, oh yeah, we're great, I don't have any weakness, but just, just get sick one time. Just get good and sick one time. And uh, some of you that got the COVID when it was going around a lot, uh, you, under, you, you really felt that weakness. But notice that it's not going to be weak when it's raised. It's raised in what? Verse 43. It's raised in power. It's raised in power. We'll have bodies with great power. And you won't have to go to the gym and work out to get that power. You won't have to run on a treadmill to get that power. Uh, you won't have to take this supplement and that to get the power. You'll just have that power. It'll be the nature of the body that God gives you. Notice in verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul the last Adam, speaking of Christ, was made a quickening spirit. So the first Adam fell, and the second Adam picked him up, and all of his offspring as well. And then notice verse 46. You want to note this verse to help your Mormon friends when you're witnessing to them. He says in verse 46, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual. There's no spirit babies up in heaven waiting for bodies. He says, Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is what? Natural. We all start out this way, born into this world. That's how we get our existence. And afterward, that which is what? 
spiritual. See, we start out in the natural and then move on to the spiritual in the next life, not the other way around, folks. Do you see how that works? How many of you, how many of you got that? Amen? All right. Uh, mark that. Make a note of that. You can help somebody with that. Verse 47. And the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Uh, Paul elaborates in verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So as we have these, these characteristics of this body to live in this environment, we're going to have the characteristics that will be supernatural and heavenly to live in the next environment, which is going to be heaven itself, folks. Folks, we can't go to heaven in these bodies and be in the presence of God. There's energy and light and glory and activity up there that our bodies just couldn't handle. We just couldn't handle it. So God has to give us a new body. He has to refashion these bodies. And look what he says in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so when someone dies and uh, the guys uh, working at the funeral home work on them, one of the first things they do is they take the blood out of that person. They take the blood out of that person to, to start the embalming process. And let's take, keep your hand here and go to Leviticus chapter 17. And let's look at what God says about the blood. Leviticus chapter 17. And Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10. Leviticus 17, verse 10, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. And, um, you know, in, in some, some cultures, uh, they like to drink blood. And, and the idea is they're, they're getting the nutrients and, and the life of that, that, that animal, and in some cases, God forbid, that other person. And so God forbids this thing, and he forbids it on, on two levels. Number one, because it's unseemly, and, and, it's, and it's usually connected to some sort of death and or murder. But notice also what he says here in verse 11. There's another reason. For the life of the flesh is in the what? <clears throat> the blood... And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So God doesn't want us uh, seeking to, to literally suck the life out of something else through their blood. But the, the, the other thing that's even more profound in God's eyes is, is blood, animal blood, is for a blood atonement. So he, he refused us to be uh, drinking blood. And the important part here for our conversation is the fact that in verse 11, it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. So what's wrong with you and I, what's wrong is you and I here this morning, and the reason that we have the ability to death and ability to die, and, and the fact that short of the rapture of, of the church and us coming out with, with Christ before death, we will die. The reason for that is, is mainly the corruption that's in our blood. Our blood's not right. 
When you have a problem and you go into the doctor and nobody knows what it is, what's one of the first things they do? They take a, a, at least a CBC, complete blood count. They at least do that. And then they get into a metabolic panel and start looking at how all your organs are working. And they can tell all of that through your blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So Paul says in verse 50 here in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And uh, someone once said that should be over the nursery at every church. Uh, we shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, notice it says we'll be changed. It doesn't say God's going to discard this body and leave it laying in a ditch somewhere. He's going to take the body you have, and he's going to change it. He's going to change it. So in a sense, it's the same body, but it's just totally worked over to the point where it is, in fact, a new body. But we're, we're changed. And uh, notice what he says in verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, there's been a lot of discussion over what that means. Does that mean someone blinking or the amount of time it takes light to hit the back of your eye and come back out and twinkle? Uh, either way, it's fast, okay? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and here's that word again, and we shall be what? Changed. Changed. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So just that quickly, God's going to, the, the, the trumpet's going to blow, and, and the Lord is going to have the dead raised incorruptible, and, and we won't have to go through that process of decaying and being sown in weakness and corruptibility and dishonor. We'll just be changed right there. Bang. We'll go from being in an animated state, a living state, to a glorified state. Wouldn't that be great to be part of that? What a privilege that would be to be part of that event as someone that is alive in this world. Paul said, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord. And verse 53, for this corruptible <coughs> must put on incorruption. Again, this body is going to take on new characteristics. And this mortal, this, new bo this body again, must put on immortality. Th therefore it becomes new that way. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of muscle cars and antique cars and classic cars. And, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to restore them. One is to restore it back to original. You know what God's not going to do? He's not going to restore these bodies back to original. You in your best state at the best point in your life physically where you were the most healthy and filled with the most life and vigor and energy is nothing compared to what God's going to do. And so you can restore a vehicle to its original condition, and those guys go real crazy. You know, they want all the numbers to be right, and, and some of them even get into the markings on the fender wells underneath the hood where the guy in the factory might have put a chalk mark that said something on the assembly line, and they go crazy with that originality thing. And I get that, but God's not going to do that. 
You know what he's going to do? He's going to customize it. Amen. It's going to be better than original. It's not going to have those hot or cold, stinky vinyl seats. Okay, it's not going to have the air conditioning where you roll down the windows for it. Amen. I mean, it's going to be all upgraded, folks. And so the body you have now at its best is going to be nothing compared to what God's going to do. And so this mortal is going to put on immortality. Then she'll be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? By the way, no graveyards up in heaven. No funeral homes up in heaven. No headstones up in heaven. No hospitals up in heaven. No doctors up in heaven. None of that. And he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And Christ took care of that for us. And the strength of sin is the law. Christ fulfilled that for us. So he says in verse 57, But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory, the complete victory now, folks, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, that we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because ultimately this is our end. Now notice what he says in verse 58 because it is so important. And he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, in light of all of this in this chapter, the resurrection of Christ, our resurrection, and the manner of the resurrection and the glorified body, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Folks, what, what Paul is saying here is that in the conclusion of the matter is this great encouragement to go on for God, if for nothing else but that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we will raise from the dead in the manner of the resurrection body. Paul is saying that should be enough for us to go on, to go on for God. Amen? Now, I'm glad for all of God's blessings, but all, none of us get everything we want. Let's face that. And... Uh, Paul says, in light of this one great truth of the resurrection and the resurrection body connected to Christ's resurrection, let's be steadfast, let's be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Our labor is not in vain in the Lord, folks. It's not in vain in the Lord. There's a lot of things we do. You know, winter's coming. I'm getting the small engines in the shop ready and cleaning different things up, getting ready, draining all the, the uh, irrigation system, getting the water out of the pipes so they don't freeze and bust. And once in a while I'm doing this and I'm thinking, how many times have I done this? <laughs> you know, how many times have I done this? Or I'll have a, a, a three or four inch uh, PVC pipe in the ground break under pressure. And I'll think, man, I put that in brand new. Yeah, but that was brand new 25 years ago. And you know what? In, in this life, in this life, there's a redundancy. In this life, there's a corruption. And there's, in this life, there is an atrophy and an entropy. But, but not in the next life, folks. Not in the next life. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. The things that are physical will deteriorate. Uh, this beautiful pulpit someday will, will someday just be uh, rubble somewhere. Uh, perhaps burned up when God redoes the heavens and the earth. 
and yet uh, what we have is something eternal. So Paul says it's, it's not in vain in the Lord when we serve the Lord. It's not in vain whatsoever because of this great truth. And one of these days, the Lord's going to say to all those that have gone on before us, get up. You've been laying there long enough. Get up. Get up. And give them that resurrection body. Remake it. He's going to bring them back soul and spirit and reunite them with a resurrected body that they'll enjoy. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be here when that happens. And we won't even have to go the way of the sod. We won't have to go the way of the grave or, or the way of all flesh. And, and, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Um. Take your Bibles, I, I lied to you, go to John chapter 20. I'm going to take you to one more portion of Scripture here real quick. And this has to do with the resurrection of Christ. We've talked about this before, but I want to just throw it out there as a reminder. John chapter 20, and I want you to notice verse 7, speaking of the tomb, when Peter and John went in, and, and witnessed the empty tomb where Christ had, had been laying at one time. And the Bible says in verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, that is John, and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. That wrapped together seems to indicate it was, it was still folded up neatly. That type of thing. And uh, one tradition uh, that was brought out by someone not too awful long ago was that at the table, at the table, the servant would wait on his master. And if his master was done uh, with, the, with the meal and got up uh, to leave, he would take that napkin that he was using, that cloth napkin, and he would just wad it up. He'd maybe wipe his mouth off and his beard and whatever. And he would just throw it on the table. And that meant when he got up that the servant was to come and take care and bust the table, if you will. Start cleaning things up because the meal was over. But if he, if he left it folded there and got up, that meant that he was coming back, folks. That meant he was coming back. And the servant wasn't to disturb things. He was going to come back again to that place shortly. And you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ left that napkin, if you will, that headpiece folded up as a little reminder to us that he's coming back. He's coming back, folks. And when he does, by God's grace, we'll get our resurrection bodies. I was thinking of Brother Tim Derry, and I was thinking of Gary Kester and, and uh, Jim Holtam and Heidi Holt and Rick Weston. And, and uh, I, was, I was thinking of little Chloe uh, our granddaughter, and, and, and the twins, the twin boys. And I, I was thinking today uh, we're going to go and see Joe and um, uh, Lee this week. My wife and I are going to drive out there Tuesday and Wednesday and spend some time with them. And uh, he's going he's to be going through a lot of big-time surgeries over the next week and, and a lot of pain and, and, and things that go with all of that. And, and you know what? One of these days God's going to say enough of that. Enough of that. There's going to be Christians right in the middle of all of that. Christians in the middle of heart problems and cancer and, and burns at the burn unit there in Salt Lake City that God's going to just 
take them like that and change their bodies into a resurrection body and take them right out, man. Take them right out. And he left the napkin and he says, I'm coming back. Don't disturb anything. I'm coming back. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we, we ran through this pretty fast. Uh, just pray that in some measure, somehow, we would be encouraged at the future you've promised us as believers and be encouraged to live for you, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work, knowing that our labor is not in vain in you. And God, we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 617, number 617. I'll fly away. Sean, would you come up here and close us in a word of prayer? Praise the Lord. Are you encouraged? Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, the preaching. And I was so moved, Lord, by your spirit. God, I pray that uh, all this will, well, I know it's not all in vain, God. And so I pray that we keep our eyes on you and we walk with you and trust you and believe you at your word, Lord God, that we're in prayer, we're reading the book, Lord God, and uh, as Brother Ben was praying or preaching this morning, God, that we're leaving uh, an inheritance for these children and grandchildren of ours, Lord. Oh, God, what a great message. What a great truth. Lord God, you're so good. May we be blessed as we bless you this day, Lord God, and come back this evening ready to hear from you again. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.